Hey everybody, and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley, and joining me today is Brian Tyler, as we talk to an entity known as Labs. Labs is working on his first solo game called Dark Shores. Dark Shores is a horror game with unscripted enemies and permadeath. Sounds super scary and uh, really interesting. And if you want to find out more information about the game, then head on over to darkstation.com where you can find tons of links in the show notes to this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. much for uh, joining us on the dark cast i gotta say this is exciting uh, i said it before we started recording but i'm gonna say it again we have a clandestine skype call right now uh we don't know your name only you were the figure known as labs of lab games and you were making dark shores i uh, am yes very very cool um so welcome to the show cool thank you for having me absolutely absolutely uh so normally we we ask our um, our interviewees, you know, where where they're from, what, you know, previous games that they've worked on, um, maybe how they got into the industry. I don't know how much of that you want to answer, so <laughs> if you just kind of want to say any of that that you want to, and then, then we'll go from there. <laughs> sure, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm in the uh, the games industry in, uh, in a few different roles, so I'm uh, I've been working on my uh, my side project for the last about year and a half, which is Dark Shores. Uh, that is alongside work at uh, various other gaming studios within the industry, so hence kind of why I'm working under the pseudonym of Labs. Um, and uh, so I've been in the industry for a few years, bounced around a little bit. I've been in uh, both mobile and uh, console PC. Hmm. Um, and I started all the way back uh, while I was still in university, actually. I started off by making my own uh, kind of free-to-play mobile games. It's kind of like a... It seems like a common path a lot of people do, just work on their own projects while they're still in school or just out, and uh, kind of use that to leverage my portfolio a little bit, and that's how I uh, kind of got my first break in the industry, and I've uh, been working in games ever since. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, how long have you been in the industry? Oh geez, uh, gotta think back a little bit. Probably about four and a half years. Um, okay. Tack on an extra year or two if you count kind of the early indie stuff I did when I was a student. Hmm. Sure. So I've been been around for a little bit now. Okay. And did you get your uh, education in like programming or design? What? How did you? Uh, yeah, start, start in design. So I initially, uh, I started my bachelor's in interaction design, so more UX and UI. And hmm. about, uh, you know, halfway through, I, I've always been passionate about games. You know, I think you have to be if you want to work in the industry. And um, sure. I kind of started focusing more on design and games, and that's uh, what led me into the industry as a whole. Very cool. Uh, I always find um, UI designers, well, actually, I don't think I've ever spoken with a UI designer uh, directly, but just the idea of UI to be super interesting because it's never going to be something that gets praise, but if it's just a little bit off, like, it can ruin everything. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that's one of the things with design as a whole. It's kind of, what do they say, like, if you're doing it right, no one notices at all. Sure. Absolutely, or it's like it's like working in yeah, IT. I, mean, I can only think of 
Yeah, it's, no, totally. Uh... <laughs> yeah, you kind of kind of invisible. Right. So it's a little thankless at times, but I mean, yeah, I think there's only one or two games where people actively praise the UI and uh, an interface of a lot of games. I mean, I can think of like maybe Dead Space, but uh, I can think of a whole mm, bunch sure. of games where people complain about uh, the UI. So, indeed, it's a bit of a tightrope. Yeah, indeed. Uh, do you enjoy working on that? Any? Do you do any of that kind of stuff in your your day job? Or yeah, yeah. So I work as a designer. So. Okay. Um, not specifically UI, but it definitely touches upon a lot of that, so it's always okay. good to have that knowledge. Very cool. Very cool. Well, um, we're here to talk about Dark Shores, so let's jump into that. If you could start off by just uh, kind of giving us the elevator pitch. What right. is what is Dark Shores? So Dark Shores is a survival horror game, and the big twist here is that we have this concept of permadeath in it. So my kind of gripe with horror games has always been you, you get killed by the monster or the bad guy. It's scary the first time, but you know you can reload at the save point or the checkpoint, and all of a sudden you know what's going to happen, and kind of the scares are no longer there because essentially you know it's become predictable all of a sudden. There's no real consequences. So the idea here is you play as a group of five survivors who've crash-landed on this island, and they're being hunted by this monster. And kind of the unique angle here is when you die as one character, instead of reloading the game, you take control of another survivor. And uh, after that, the story continues. So uh, it's it's a bit of a non-linear story as well. It really changes depending on who lives and who dies. Uh, theoretically, you can essentially flat out lose the game where all the survivors die. Or if you're really good, you can end up having no one die, and hmm. you get different endings and different uh, events based on that. Okay. So what what is going on that brought everybody here to this shore? Uh, so basically, you're a, you're a group of uh, just kind of trashy twenty something tourists who go on a party cruise down in the uh, South Pacific, and um, unfortunately, uh, been a bit of a ship malfunction. You, you capsize and you wash up on this. Uh, this island where things aren't quite as they seem. Hmm. As it does with islands. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's always how it is. Hatches we need to be aware of? Uh, no hatches. No, no. But there is a bunker. And, uh, okay. you know, there's some mis- mystery going on with the past of the island that you kind of uncover throughout the game. So, yeah, there's definitely a bit of a lost vibe in there as far as the mystery and figuring it out. But, uh, no smoke monsters. I was going to say, you said mystery, but is there mist or smoke monsters? But you, you just oh, answered that. No, no, you know what? That's a, it's a takes a little too much technology on my end, getting all the, uh, the volumetric mist and all that. Too much work. <laughs> aside from, the, aside from the, like, the survival elements, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get actually into those and what you're actually mm-hmm. doing to survive in a moment, but like um, watching the trailer... Uh, I, you definitely nailed kind of the dark atmosphere, um, but it also looked like there was a bunch of like um, you know possibly like Blair Witch and other inspirations in there. Um, kind of where did you come from in in the main kind of like idea department for what you wanted to do with this island? Yeah, so uh, I don't want to get too into spoilery territory, but I was kind of um, inspired when I heard about the story about uh, this Japanese soldier in World War Two. Uh, after the war had ended, the Japanese government would drop flyers from planes over all the islands that they had men stationed in, saying the war was over, 
um, you know, come back home, essentially. And apparently this one guy, uh, he thought it was U.S. propaganda or something, and he just believed the war kept going for something like 20 years. Oh, like, no. he, he stayed there for ages, and I think it was just him. And it was a true story. I don't, I don't know the exact details, but I thought, oh, like, you know, terrible. how... How crazy is that? And so the idea with this is uh, there was a military base and there was a group of soldiers sent to clear it out back in the war. And there's some weird kind of mystical elements with the island as far as what it does to people. You know, time kind of seems to move a little slower there. But the idea is, you know, there might be this soldier or this group of soldiers who stayed behind who think they're still at war hunting people. Mm. Uh the player you've kind of unfortunately found yourself there and the uh the backstory is kind of revealed through collecting uh journal entries and exploring the environment sweet and naturally being um 20 something millennials you represent the worst of america <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> at a real bad point in their lives yeah yeah real real enemies yeah exactly so is it possible that by the end of the game you go, you know what, these soldiers are right. These people should die. Fuck, <laughs> jeez. See, I don't know, because, I mean, you're playing as these people, so I feel like, you know, the player shouldn't want to die by the end of it. <laughs> That'd okay. be real bad. That's fair. You know what, I'll just let myself get captured. <laughs> no. It's like, I'm a rotten scum. Let's just let's get this over with, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned exploring the island. Uh, is this a open world? Is it uh, kind of segmented into levels? How does progressing through the game kind of work? Yeah, it's uh, it's segmented. Um, so some medium largest areas. I didn't want to go full open world with that because uh, I want to keep a little bit of focus. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes with open worlds, it's just you know people make an environment and then just put things in it, and it should be kind of the other way around. Sure. Um, but we also have mm, some more tighter areas, like uh, there's a segment in the game where you go into this old World War II bunker, and it's a lot more claustrophobic and uh, a bit more linear than the open environments that you're used to. Hmm. So are, uh, to the way that these kind of segments are, are doled out, do you have a lot of objectives in one area? Are you kind of like roaming around in an open area, or is it more guided? Um, I mean, it really depends on the exact uh, point in the story. So there are okay, so, so you're there. getting kind of both. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So like the bunker okay. segments, you're specifically looking for something, and that's a lot more guided and a lot more gotcha. linear. But uh, okay. a lot of the times the objective might just be, um, you know, gather enough food and survive for two days. Mm. And, uh, you know, a little more open that allows players to explore the environment more freely. Okay. That's really cool. Do do those objectives and things change uh, with the story changing? Um, yeah, some of the objectives change based on who lives and who dies. Uh, there's a segment in the bunker where if enough players or enough characters die in there, uh, the next player come along will kind of be a little smart and wise enough and say, you know what, my friends haven't come back from that bunker. There's no way I'm going in there because uh, I'm not doing this. <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of. Kind of going the anti-horror route where it's like, oh, you know what, let's just keep going until, you know, we're all wiped out. So it does change a little bit. And, um, okay. you know, there's a few other things like uh, getting some stuff to heal another wounded survivor. You know, if if you manage to get the, the healing plants for him, then he'll be recovered and will be a playable character later on should you need him. So it changes uh, a little bit and varies based on who you're playing as. 
Cool. Uh, does that... Does anything like that happen with... Like, if you are playing the current playable character and you die, is there any chance for the person that you then take control of to go and save you? Uh, there's no saving. It's, okay. a, it's a hard hard death, but okay. um, you do need to go back and recover uh, that character's backpack, you know, to mm. get, get whatever food or whatever uh, items they had on them. So there's still a little bit of the fact of, you know, kind of going back to... The scene of the crime, essentially. Sure. Uh, when you say survival, are we mm-hmm. talking um, like uh, just surviving to make sure you're staying alive, or are there like, are you, or is it kind of the the newer age survival where you're crafting things you have to eat, you have to kind of stay hydrated uh, in addition to dodging whatever horrible evil the starship has? Right. It's it's a little bit lighter. Um, there's no crafting or anything involved. It's uh, just going out and gathering food for your camp um and you know time passes on the island so when a day passes your food reserves go down and if you have too little food then you'll start to lose people's starvation so um stayed away from crafting because i feel like uh you know there's plenty other games that do that and that'd be stretching myself a little too thin that's totally fair what what kind of food is on this haunted isle um, it's mostly berries and various jungle plants, so it uh, really involves the player kind of looking around and going deep into the jungle to kind of look for things that they know uh, they'll need to pick up and gather. Are there any foods that you don't want to eat? Uh, no, no nothing like that, no. Uh, I think they'd be a little too cruel to the player. There's enough out there trying to kill them, so food should be the last thing that'll kill players. <laughs> Uh, that's that's good. Um, that that would be bad if you were scared of the food as well. well you know, or it might it that, might be good. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? You know, maybe that's a <laughs> that's a thing to patch in. I can add a you know horror mode extra hard. That's right. <laughs> Eat too many berries and suddenly there's you know like diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vitamin D plus. <laughs> Uh, diarrhea, then dehydration, and then yeah, no, that that could be terrible. Or give and yourself. Then, and then the, the soldiers are just begging you to get off the island. Yeah. We've been here for forty years, and this never happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I don't know. I, it, it sounds fun, but I don't really like the idea of animating and uh, programming the diarrhea. Mechanic. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. I might. I might yeah, have no, to hire someone to do that. At least, or just yeah. have a little text, um, you know, box pop up. It's like, yeah, we could, you we now have diarrhea. Yeah, <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah, I told you, you uh, die of dysentery. It worked for Oregon Trail. It can work for Dark. <laughs> exactly, it's a classic. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned that uh, with with all the characters, um, you know, you have five, and eventually everybody can die. Um, so does that uh, does that essentially work out to like you have five chances to like make it through the game, um, and if everybody yeah, dies, you have I to mean, start over. That's yeah, that's definitely one way to look at it. It's definitely uh, you have a, a hard line number of chances. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's no you can't recruit other survivors. Um, you know, so that's not going to. You, you be don't get down to one survivor, and then just magically four new survivors <laughs> get shipwrecked on the island another, as well. Poor, uh, poor saps. Yeah, no. So it's nothing like a XCOM style where you can kind of 
pull in more guys or anything. Uh, once your last dude is dead, uh, that's about it. Okay. Um, is this so? We've seen uh, you know a lot of different types of horror games where there's there's combat and there's just more evasion of combat. Are you actually going to be fighting stuff in this, or are you just trying to stay away from whatever's hunting you? Uh, so there's no real combat in the game as far as head-on uh, attacking the, the the bad guys, but, um, you know, it's more than just kind of running away when you see them. There's uh, some stealth elements, so uh, hiding in bushes and whatnot to camouflage yourself. So, you know, if someone's nearby, throw yourself and uh, take use of the advantage and kind of hope the bad guys pass by. And um, mm. Additionally, as the game progresses, they'll set traps for you, so you need to be Ooh. extra aware of your survival. You know, um, like bear traps and whatnot. If you get your leg caught in it, you kind of need to jimmy your way out, and you know that can get you caught, especially if you're uh, if the bad guy's on your trail. So, mm-hmm. really wanted to emphasize using the environment, uh, the jungle, cause both can help you and can hurt you. Mm-hmm. That's um. If they can set traps for you, can you set traps for them? Uh, not in the first release. It's something I played with. Um, thinking, you know, in a, in a later patch, I uh, want to do the idea of you could disarm the trap and then the classic set him as well. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of potentially, I guess, a stretch goal of 1.1 version of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, I do always love it when you can hide in bushes from enemies. Um, <laughs> yes. I was a completely different type of game, but I was I was playing Watch Dogs 2 recently, and um, my character was in some bushes, and the, the game has kind of the, the new classic little bar that appears when enemies see you. And so I assumed that because it has kind of this light stealth mechanic that, hey, I'm in a bush, he can't see me. No, he could totally see me. That bush was not. Uh, uh, it was sad. Yeah, that uh, bush, yeah. It, it gave me up, let me go. It was not uh, Rick Astley. Um, I mean, I guess it it kind of makes sense. Like, I don't know, it's one of those video game tropes where, like, I don't know when the last time you've actually tried to hide in a real bush is, but it's impossible. It doesn't work out too well. You can hide behind the bush, but actually getting into the bush is is rather rather hard. You need to come with cheers, and by the time you cut yourself a little hole in the center, they've already found you. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you get, like, a twig in the eye, and you're blinded in the eye. Yeah, totally. And then you're running and screaming, and they haven't even gotten you yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe I should program that in. Like a small percent chance you get, small percent chance you get stabbed in the eye with a, a straight twig, cut off half your vision. Yeah, totally. <laughs> or, or you do it from like you get into the bush and you slide into first person view, and there's like a twenty percent chance that a bug crawls across your monitor and just tears the hell out of you. You gotta like button mash to keep yourself from screaming or something. Yeah. Yep. There you go. One point two release. There you go. Yeah. You guys are giving me too many Realistic ideas. Bushes. I'm... I'm going to have to push back the release on this thing. <laughs> Too many possibilities now. Oh, man. There's so many possibilities. Okay. And, yeah, uh, then uh, eventually you, you can... push back, just remember to give us the credit for it. That's, oh, we'll... that's right, that's right. We'll take the hit. I'll, gi- I'll, give, you a, I'll give you a cut of the royalties if, if this thing ever comes out at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, that's always the, uh, the, the great pain of game development. When you start out, you always have, like, hundred amazing ideas and you want to do this and that and you slowly got to kind of stick to your guns and be like no we got to cut this we got to cut that and it's uh it's it's pretty tough to say goodbye to ideas sometimes so how do you especially with with the fact that you've been working on this for over two years 
Um, what what's kind of your your design process mm-hmm. with it? I mean, how do you um, do you set just smaller goals and work towards those? Um, do you have you obviously you have an overall picture of where you want to be? How does that get pared down with like kind of the vision that you do have for it and what you're able to get done? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is because this is a this is a one man operation on this game, so the biggest thing is the constraints of what I actually can do. Um, and, you know, when you don't have a full team of artists or programmers, you got to make sure the scale is appropriate. So that's kind of the biggest thing. When I started the project, I need to make sure it was something that was uh, ambitious but not uh, completely impossible. And then uh, from there, let's like you said, you just kind of chip away at the small uh, milestones. Um, you know, the one thing I'm fortunate about is I never had a uh, set release date, which is, you know, the main reason you see so many games get rushed out. You know, it's uh, the publisher will set a release date two years in advance, and they're they're real hard on that date. And three months away from launch, and you realize you're only 50% done. That's why uh, it's the main reason a lot of uh, incomplete rush games come out. And I've been lucky where it's just been, you know, I'll release it when it's done. I've got no pressure on that side. So that's the uh, the blessing on the other other side of the coin, essentially. Sure. What about as far as um, as far as making those decisions of like what you need to cut, uh, what doesn't work? How how do you make those kind of decisions when it's just you? Like, what what's your thought process, and how how are you actually deciding on that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, some of them are pretty easy to make, depending on how severe they are. Like, sometimes you can look at something and realize, uh, you know, like, oh, man, this just isn't working, or there's too much work to implement. But, yeah, there's definitely the more subjective ones where, in a big studio, it's it's a lot easier to kind of gauge the process, or if you've got beta testing. But, uh, you know, it kind of pairs down to instinct and, um, you know, seeing if you can get outside opinions on it, like... Uh, even now, I had a, a streamer play my game and was commenting on how uh, sometimes it was too hard to find certain items in the in the environments too far out, and you know something I never really considered. But uh, mm-hmm. you know the sentiment comes in, and that in a way it was a form of beta testing, and I was able to kind of quickly turn around and you know make some adjustments to that. So you just kind of need to improvise where you can. So you know I, I can't roll out a huge open beta for this game, but. Uh, you know, sending out copies to YouTubers and whatnot is a pretty good way to get feedback. Sure. Has that been one of your main sources of, of feedback on the game? or In the last month or so. I okay. mean, the, the game's pretty close to done, so just smaller things like, you know, find balance and whatnot, you know, you can get good feedback from there, but uh, typically you don't really want to be making major game decisions, uh, you know, a month or two out from launch. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> not a good sign. Uh, but what uh, earlier in the process, did you have, like, friends and family playing it, or were you able to, did you send it out to anybody else, or how, how did you kind of beta test that earlier yeah. in an actual beta I mean, earlier stage? on, yeah. Yeah, earlier on, you know, you kind of just white box it out, so you use a lot of temp assets and quickly pound something out that kind of gets the point across and yeah i'd go through with uh you know like a few few friends in the industry who kind of know their stuff and Hmm. see what they thought and um yeah you you would do it early on just so you know i didn't waste you know weeks and weeks making all this art for a concept that i ended up scrapping or didn't work so kind of get the the main core stuff out of the way first and then uh you kind of just gotta go with it yeah 
Absolutely. Um, you were talking about kind of balancing the, um, like, foraging for, for food and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, one of the things that uh, kind of the, the Steam page talks about is having an um, unscripted hunter that, you know, it's you're not just being and, – and you mentioned earlier in the uh, the interview that, you know, you, you die, you reload a checkpoint in most mm-hmm. horror games, and then the, the scare's still right there. Yeah. Um, so h- how have you gone about kind of balancing – the the threat of this game because I imagine that's like there's a reason people script jump scares and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, that was that was definitely the the trickiest thing is um yeah I, I made a point to make kind of the scares very dynamic so essentially it's you're out there exploring the world and this this hunter guy is slowly stalking you and uh, so it'll never happen the same way twice. Like, I'm just so tired of the, the standard, you know, you're walking down a hallway and you see a locker at the end of it. Like, yeah, I wonder what's going to happen. Some monster's going to jump out. You know, it, you know, it's jump scares like that. They're good for one or two times. and But, uh, you know, once you're done, it becomes really predictable. So it's kind of measuring, for me, the balance was, you know, how far along the game is the player. And that kind of ties into how aggressive the hunter is. So, hmm. you know early on the bad guys might keep very far distance because you know i don't want players dying out right away you know 30 minutes into the game but as the story progresses the hunter gets more uh more aggressive and you know the traps play a a big part there he'll set more traps along the uh the environment and he'll kind of hunt you more aggressively and you need to spend more time being aware of your surroundings and stealthy and so I guess the uh, the tension of it and making sure it has the right feel and that's where the uh, kind of YouTubers and sending it out to few other people is good. You kind of I can see those values. Think you know, oh, do I need to make it a little more intense? Do I need to ease off? Um, kind of ter- carefully uh, script that sort of uh, control out. Mm-hmm. So with the, um, I wanted to say with especially with that. So like uh. In dealing with something, and I remember this being a criticism of, of like, alien isolation, mm-hmm. um, in which a lot of people, like, the the alien would suddenly appear, and there, wouldn't be, there wasn't really any logic other than the fact that the player was there, and so that's right. the way it was built. Is the hunter something that exists in the environment, and the game is aware of where he is at all times, so that stuff makes sense? Or is he kind of shadowing the player at, at, at known intervals, like, this, you know... He's is going is he like the Joker in, in uh, the last Batman game where he, yeah. he just appears on the rooftop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely an internal logic to it. There, I, I'm hoping there's no cases where all of a sudden he'll come out of nowhere, you know, right behind the player with no real reason. You know, he'll, he'll start in specific spots and kind of creep up and around the player. And um, one of the things it's tied to is the time of day. So when you start a day in the game it's nice and sunny out and he'll hold further back uh there's still a chance he'll come and kill you or you might accidentally cross paths with him but as the night increases he'll get closer and closer and be more aggressive Hmm. and so you need to balance when to head back to your camp and call it and call it a day and you know how far into the island to push but uh as for like yeah the the kind of the alien isolation thing it's never a situation where you'll be walking along and the bad guy is three feet to your left um 
you know, out of the blue. Like, if the player is astute, they should be able to see him coming and act accordingly. We don't want it to be too uh, too unfair and cheap like that, especially when you're uh, playing where every character life matters. Sure. Yeah. That's cool, though, that he, he exists out there on his own. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really run any tests, but I think theoretically, if you stood still in one spot, like, as each character, you would just die on your own, um, based on how aggressive he is. So it's not one of those cases where, you know, if you turn this corner, he's going to come jumping out at you, and you got to run away. It's uh, it's very much dynamic to keep it kind of, keep everyone on their toes. Sweet. Very cool. Uh, I had a I had a question before Brian asked his question and now I don't remember what it was. I should have written no. it down. Sorry. I have, I have I a place to do I, have, I have a document here that I, I could just, you know, jot those ideas down in addition to the other ones that we have, but no, I I didn't think oh, about that because I just it's, it's getting late. Yeah. No, I was just I was listening to the question. I was like, Oh, now I want to <laughs> know the answer to this and yeah. <laughs> now I don't know what I was gonna say. Um that's that's really cool though. Um so as you were saying, kind of uh, with the the progression of the day, so like each day the hunter gets more aggressive. Then as you play the game, the hunter also gets more aggressive as well. Um, so it's kind of this, I guess, gradual day by day thing. Like the the next day in the morning, will the hunter be more aggressive than he was the previous morning? Yeah, the the day by day is more driven by the objective and okay. what the story kind of calls for. So towards the end of the story, he'll be a lot more aggressive. That's spread out over a bunch of days. But um, there's also within the day, you know, the longer the day itself goes on, the closer to night he'll get more and more aggressive. And mm. so it kind of presents a bit of a balancing act for players because they always constantly need to be gathering food and completing what other story objectives they have to do. And um, you know, once you gather food you're eventually going to need to move deeper in the island but doing so means you're spending more time in the island and the day grows on and the further the player has to travel and the more aggressive the hunter gets so it kind of becomes a bit of a a balancing game as to far as you know how much you collect in one day and then go back and going back and collecting and uh so some players kind of like to go real short trips and back just to kind of keep the bad guy off their back but uh other players are a little more bold and will spend all day they're grabbing as much as they can but risking a higher chance of getting captured by the bad guy so it's kind of a fine line players need Mm. to walk how much time do you kind of have in a day or is it driven by objectives that once you complete certain objectives so much of the day passes well like the days will not overlap unless you actually go back to your camp and end it so there's a finite amount of time um I think there's something like uh, each day is about 10 real-world minutes. So from, you know, regular hunter aggression to full aggression will take about that much time. But uh, there's nothing stopping the player from spending, you know, half an hour running around out there as long as they want. You know, just super risky. Okay. So it takes takes about 10 real-world minutes for the the sun to set, essentially, in it to become night. Yeah. But then you're not going to get to the next day. You're you're just in permanent night until you. Yeah, exactly. It's not gonna it's not gonna automatically reset for the player and take him out of there. It's just kind of presenting that risk. It just doesn't get any worse after those ten minutes. Okay. 
Now, uh, when you go back to camp and you call it a day, are are you safe? Yeah, you are safe in the camp. Uh, okay. It's it's always good to have one spot where the player knows, like, all right, I'm I'm good here, and you kind of you kind of sit back and relax a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that just kind of adds on to the whole. I don't want to be too cruel to the players. Like, I want to scare <laughs> them and give them a tough challenge, but uh, no twigs in the eye when hiding in the bushes, and no getting attacked uh, in your own safe zone. You uh, you go to save the game and you wake up dead. That sort of thing. Oh jeez. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a little unfair. It's like, well, I started with my first player, and then they were all slaughtered in the night. <laughs> yeah. And I had they no control over it. Sleep, <laughs> Trust me, I want the player to die, but I want it to be the player's fault, you know? <laughs> There's a fine line. Sure. Yeah, because if you wanted to just program that, I mean, what's the, the point of even playing then? You're just going <laughs> to come kill me in the night. You want them to just think they've got a chance. Misery Simulator 2017. Yep. Yeah. So this you, you could probably re-release this game under that title and just have that thing where you like you go through your first day and then you go make <laughs> camp and you think you're safe and you die and uh, yeah, just yeah. yeah two games for the price of one. There you go. Just program a bunch of those traits. <laughs> like who knows? Maybe one of the characters could just like have a really bad heart if you sprint too much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, that would. And it's not like the fat character. Sometimes you get diarrhea. Yeah, no. It's the one you don't expect. (laughs) Exactly. He was just born with a defect. Yeah, like a hole in his heart or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a. I don't know. I don't. You know what? I'm really thinking about just pushing this thing back another two months to program in these (laughs) extra features. Uh, well, if it ends out, if it ends well, then it was totally our idea. If it doesn't, <laughs> it's it's all you. This podcast never happened. I don't oh, yeah, know what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that is fantastic. Um, any any other questions about the game proper, Brian? Before we go into the the end game? No, I'm good. We can hit the end game. All right, let's do it. Take so, it away. So we, yeah, we like to end uh, end our interviews. Uh, with a little bit of a more personal questionnaire. Um, we call it the end game. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, don't worry if you have to think about things. That's fine. Um, these are hard questions. Um, so, yep, starting at the beginning, um, who is your favorite video game protagonist? Protagonist? Hmm. You know, I got to say I'm a fan of... Uh, I got to go with... Uh, see, I'm thinking Metal Gear Solid. I just don't know which... Which boss? Uh, no, you know what? I'm going to change it. I'm, I'm going with Sam Fisher, original Sam Fisher, Michael Ironside from you know Ooh. like Chaos Theory. Not not this nice. new voice actor they got. Yeah, That's... I'm, I'm a fan of uh... Jonathan. Very happy. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, grumpy old man Sam. That's my guy. Absolutely. You like that? Obviously, that's like that's like Chaos Theory first. First, kind of Michael Ironside, Sam, Sam Fisher, and not like later. Uh, drunk Ironside Sam. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about this. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I get it. His daughter died. Yeah. You know. Ah, come on. Sam, Sam's had a hard life. Yeah. He was. He was a little too mope. Yeah. Yeah. He really has. Yeah. Um. Next question. Flipping the coin. Who's your favorite antagonist? Oh jeez, antagonist. Um. You know, I gotta say. Uh, Oh, uh, what was his name? 
Odim from uh, the The Witcher Three, especially uh, Hearts of Stone. I don't know if you guys played that uh, that expansion, but he was fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was. was uh, yeah, no, I just I just think of that spoon scene. It's uh, still is horrifying to me. Um, I really liked him because he was sort of the villain who didn't really look like much much of a villain. You know, he was he was a little overweight, was balding, and just kind of seems super uh, innocent and uh, nondescript, but turns out he's this kind of, I don't know, I guess he was kind of the devil or this uh, this demon who just kind of exists to wreak havoc on the world. I, I thought he was a fantastic villain. Mm-hmm. I, I can get behind that as well. <laughs> All right. I, I think this is, yeah, this is like the, the Jonathan edition of, um, of the Endgame so far. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, you're you're uh, creating games, and you're also within the. I mean, like not only on your own, but you're also you know within the kind of the larger business that is uh, kind of the video game industry. Um, do you see any kind of um, trends or something starting small that you'd like to see kind of get bigger? Um, that that maybe doesn't have anybody everybody's attention right now. Hmm. I got I, I you know I got plenty of trends that. I don't want to get bigger. I feel like it's always easier. Oh, that's the next one. That's the next complaint. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, for for trends I like, um, you know, I I don't know if this can be clarified so much as a trend, but I just uh, kind of like how there's a lot more, I guess, pure games. Rocket League is just such a simple thing. You know, you drive rocket cars, and it's essentially soccer. Like that's it. There's no no stats, no buffs, no no real. Um, kind of background mechanics it's a what you see what you get sort of game and the you know it's so well crafted that the game itself is all players need and you can play it over and over and so you know it's it's nice to have those those more simple types of games you know um stuff nintendo does really well like mario if you look at mario all it is is just jumping and running but you know they can make a whole experience out of that and that's something it's really tricky to pull off but uh i appreciate that for sure Indeed, that's excellent. So, so flipping the coin. Next question: right. um, Are are there any you know trends or tropes uh, that you see in video games that you'd prefer just to leave behind? Ooh, well, I mean, I think as someone in the industry, I think the biggest thing, and this is a, a pretty general one, but is just uh, kind of the need to chase after um, you know hit certain demographics or fill in certain check boxes with games. Um, you know, I think a lot of times you'll get publishers or studios looking and saying, well, the last, you know, the top five games that sold uh, best last year are all open world games, so we got to make this game open world and tack it on. And then people will say, you know, oh, well, uh, you know, competitive multiplayer is in, and even though this is a full single-player game, let's just uh, tack on a multiplayer element. I think that sort of thing, uh, you know, is really detrimental and just kind of, takes away from a lot of good games um i think more specifically one i'm starting to get tired of is the whole mechanic of uh you know climbing a tower to reveal parts of a map you know i don't want to point fingers at specific games but i think it's a little uh a little played out and just uh, uh you know i don't really understand what the problem is with having players actually explore and find things themselves instead of you know throwing every collectible on the map for them it's a uh, I feel like it kind of comes with every open world third person game these days radio towers, climbing towers whatever it is, I think uh, it'd be nice to get a, a different take on that sure 
Yeah, even um, from from all the previews that we've been having recently of uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, apparently that has giant <laughs> things that you yeah, climb yeah. to reveal the map. Yeah, I think they're um, dinosaurs in this one, which which is nice. They are, yeah. yeah, and and they're mobile too. Like they're yeah, they're yeah. kind of roaming around, which I mean that's that's at least a good twist on it, other than yeah. just having another tower that you climb. Yeah, it, it beats but, climbing uh, like the same tree every five hundred feet, you know. So it's good. There's a, there's a bit of a twist on that mechanic at least. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. All right, so next question. Um, getting away from uh, from video games, since you're already ma- you, you're kind of making them twice. Um, yeah, yeah. You got a day job making video games. You got a night job making video games. If you had to choose anything else in this world to do without any restrictions, is there any other profession you'd like to try? Oh, geez, I'd uh, I'd really like to be one of those. Uh one of those guys who professionally paints Warhammer makes the scenery. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you can make much of a living for it, but uh, I remember when I was a kid, I was really into Warhammer and, you know, reading through uh, all the magazines. They'd always have, like, the really, like, well-done, you know, photo shoots of the models and all that. Uh, Super elaborate dioramas and yeah, exactly. set up perfectly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. If that would pay my bills, that'd be fantastic. I don't know if it'd be any good or not, but... Uh, That would be it. Just, and all, uh, yeah, that's definitely the one I'd go for. That's that, nice. that, that's an excellent answer. <laughs> um, yeah. The penultimate question. All right. Um, if um, you got the chance um, to play any video game again for the first time, uh, what would it be? Jeez, oh, that's a good question. There's a lot. It'd be hard to narrow it down. I think. Uh, I think I'd have to say. Uh, Maybe the original Bioshock, very first one, just uh, just just to experience the twist again for the first time. Um, I mean, there's something to be said about a good twist in like a, a movie or a game where you know it's only good once. You know, it's how a lot of people say they wish they could watch Star Wars from uh, with zero memory just to kind of experience the whole Darth Vader thing. Mm-hmm. I'd probably say the same thing with Bioshock. That'd be really cool to experience again, going in blind. That's right, and it, you know what? Even even not going in blind because I played it uh, a number of years. I want to say maybe I played it like five years after it came out, right? And so I was well aware of the the would you kindly twist, yeah. But it's so well crafted that even when it happens and you know it happens, it's still a jaw dropper. <laughs> oh yeah, like, totally. Damn, he got me that 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 whole time, and now I see how it makes sense. Yeah, and you know and what I, I think. Would, I think when I when I finished the game for the first time, I immediately started again just to kind of see all the little references to it. And yeah, it's, yep. it's one of those twists where it just it, it it is good many times around. Yeah, and what I think one of my favorite parts of that is directly afterwards when you're kind of back in the world and he contacts you again and you hear it said, <laughs> and then you're like, "Yeah, buddy, I'm not doing that. I know your game now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's a uh, it was a it was a clever twist. It was a real yeah. good one. Very good. Very good. Uh, final question. This is how we'd like to end our night. Um, at the end of Alrighty. our lives, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom, and uh, our good good friend Toad is there with the book of our deeds, um, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you in? Ooh, jeez. 
I don't know. I, I hope you'd keep it light. I don't want him to say something like super emotional, you know, like, oh, your whole family's there waiting for you. I feel like, you know, <laughs> I feel like if you're going into heaven, you got to be like going in like, like a good joke, something. I don't know. I like him to, to, you know, absolve me of the most awkward thing I've ever done in my life. I can't think of what it is off the top of my head, but, you know. Hey, hey remember that? Good yeah, remember that time in eighth grade? It's like, yeah, we're good. It's off the books. You yeah. don't ever. <laughs> Nobody remembers that now. It's yeah, exactly. the most reassuring thing I'd probably want to hear, I'd say, yeah. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Super fair. Well, that's it, man. You reached right. the end of the end game. Thank you so much for playing. Jonathan, uh, tell him what he's won. Well, Labs, thank you so much. You have won our eternal love and respect um, and our never-ending... Uh, emails that will soon be coming about our royalties uh, for our oh, yeah, ideas and, uh, <laughs> and Dark Shores. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll keep you guys in the loop on how the uh, the diarrhea mechanic goes. Thank you, thank you. Excellent. Probably have some uh, some questions. Consult you guys a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that does it for the interview. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I guess if you could just send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information about Dark Shores and when they can get their hands on it. Yes, uh, the game, you can visit the Steam page, so we're going to be up on Steam. It's coming out uh, the 13th of February, so just uh, under two weeks from the point of recording. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, Dark... uh, Sorry, not... Shores, it's uh, Twitter.com backslash labs with underscores all about it, or our website, which is darkshores.tumblr.com. Using a Tumblr for that. Awesome. Well... As I said, that does it, and uh, good luck as you uh, finish up development in these last few weeks and move forward with uh, all those crazy mechanics that we came up with tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, it's uh, if I go through them, it might, might be more than a, than a few weeks, but uh, I'll keep you guys in the loop. I appreciate it. Alrighty, cool. Thanks for having me.